Psalm 8's been one of my favorite psalms uh, since when I was camping at Camp Otterbein. I remember, oh, thank you. I remember the uh, nights laying out on Vesper Hill in the sleeping bag and looking at the starry sky up above me. And the words of this psalm would come to me because it's one we used to say a lot. And I would really be full of wonder at the gift of God's creation. And I still am to this day. The biblical story starts with humanity being part of God's creation and given a special role. I'll take both of them, thank you. To take care of God's garden, to tend and to till it, and to do so in companionship with others. The biblical story ends with the leaves of the trees being for the healing of the nations and heaven and earth becoming one, it ends again in a beautiful garden. Psalm 8 for me has been the kind of context in which I imagine God's role and work as creator and the way God has asked us to be involved in that creation. Think again with me for a minute about what the psalmist saw. The heavens, the moon, and the stars. Only wondering, how far are they? How long have they been around? Making us feel so transient by comparison and maybe even insignificant. And then going on to the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the seas, and it kind of mentions the oceans. Those are the things that it names about creation in the context of wonder. And when it talks about God giving humanity rule or dominion, our role is kind of defined as God's helper in maintaining governance and order in this wonderful creation. It doesn't go into any much detail at all about how that might happen. Well, the three days before this annual conference, I went to a conference, another conference, uh, that was up at the uh, Methodist Theological School in Ohio in Delaware, which is actually a, a national leader in developing an Uh, environmental theology, a theology about ecology, and are doing exciting work. And they uh, partnered with other other agencies, including the Center for Earth Ethics, uh, to, to create this conference called Food and Faith in a Time of Climate Change. And that conference was uh, so powerful, I will never hear and see and imagine Psalm 8 and the work of creation and our role in it again in the same way. I had my mind expanded and my vision expanded and stretched. And I tell you now, this is my public confession. 
You know how you go from one conference to another and sometimes you forget the first thing before you got to the second thing or once you get to the second thing, it just wipes out the first thing? I want this not to be wiped out. I want this to be a focus, at least of my ministry, moving forward. And I'm letting you know that so you can hold me accountable and remind me. So what do I see now as I hear the words of that psalm? Well, the psalmist was right in getting the sense of the vast scope by naming the moon and the stars. You know the moon, uh, 240,000 miles away. Uh, The nearest star to us, other than our sun, 4.37 light years from the sun, which is about 24 trillion miles. I don't think the psalmist had those numbers, but it only confirms for me that science goes hand in hand with wonder. We should not be threatened by science. If the psalmist had had those numbers, they might have even felt more transient, insignificant. But the psalmist affirms and seems to take a sense of real pride, a righteous kind of pride, in the fact that we've been given dominion over this creation. That's an important, responsible role for us. But what do I see that the psalmist did not see so much. Although the psalmist was looking up in the heavens, he was looking at stars and moons so, so far away. And I imagine like like I naively look up in the sky, it seems endless. But science has actually taught us that the atmosphere, the, the dome of gases that surround the planet is actually quite thin. Moon, 240,000 miles away. Atmosphere? Well, it's not a clean line, so there's not an easy definition, but the most common is 60 miles from here to Bucyrus. That's how thin the atmosphere is that supports and sustains life on this earth. I don't think the psalmist knew how fragile that was compared to the vastness of the universe. Also, the psalmist goes on and talks about the animals and the ocean, although just about the animals and the ocean, doesn't really seem to think too much about the things that probably are so easy to take for granted the thin layer of soil that is so necessary to producing crops and being renewed and fertilized and, and is all responsible for our, uh, the productivity of the land. And also uh, the vast importance of the oceans and what they play in our climate. All of those things uh, are so easy to take for granted. They seem so big and endless. And yet, they are more vulnerable than we probably could imagine. So I'm going to do something that I have to tell you I don't feel comfortable doing because growing up, I never heard sermons 
uh, that had uh, real big uh, scientific detail in them or stewardship themes. So what I'm going to do feels awkward even a little bit to me. And um, I think I'm afraid for some people it may seem too sciencey and not spiritual, like why is this happening in church? And for others, it might seem political, which I hope it does not. They're the care for the environment and stewardship of the earth does not belong to any political party. The earth is our home. At its most fundamental, caring about the environment is a conservative principle. It means to conserve what has been given and to keep it productive and fertile. But today, when we look at the world, one degree on average warmer, we are seeing real significant changes, which are just really the beginning, unless we change. Because that fragile little dome around the earth is a location where human work has been pouring CO2 at a level that scientists say we cannot see evidence of going back as far as 66 million years. We are pouring 110 tons of CO2 into the atmosphere every day and it's having its effects. That one degree of climate change, which doesn't seem like that should be very significant, is, and we are seeing now, increased climate effects. Four times more extreme weather events now than were in 1980 around the world. Four times more. Dram dramatically longer seasons of forest fires, uh, floods, tornadoes, rapid fluctuations in temperatures. These are starting to happen. And I suppose now, as I read Psalm 8, I still feel that pride that God has given humanity this role in the care of creation, but I also feel kind of inadequate to the task and a little bit vulnerable about that and worried. Now, there aren't bad people that I'm talking about. This is our home and our challenge. But right now, the way humanity has been able to conceive of what it means to have dominion over the earth has been about taking, making, and extracting value and oftentimes wasting the product that is yielded by that. Make, take, take, make, and waste has been the way we've thought about dominion and probably have not felt a need to be any cautious about that because everything seems so inexhaustible around us. But technology has made the ability to take much more rapid and population demands are making all of our rate of extraction un unsupportable. We extract and delete 
resources from the earth at one and a half times the rate of their renewal. So first of all, well, why should Christians care? Well, if we have been uh, allowed and, and able to interpret uh, dominion as uh, take, make, and waste, we can reinterpret dominion in other ways. There are lots of people who are showing us how to do it. It still does take some will to change. Uh, so how can we think about stewardship? We could think about stewardship more as not just extracting things, but also about the whole cycle that replenishes and renews resources. We can think about wasting less. We can also think about life more fundamentally in terms of its meaning, its relationships, its joys, and not so much about the acquisition of things. It's so easy to make things take a higher place than is their due. Second reason that Christians should care is that all of the impacts of extreme climate fall the hardest on the most vulnerable people in the planet, the poorest of the poor, the elderly and the young. In areas where there's been climate disaster, for the very, very wealthy, although we all experience, there's always more ability to get to safer places and to rebuild and restart. But for the vulnerable, negative climate effects can be absolutely devastating. We need to care about that. Third reason, we need to care about it because we are called to be peacemakers in the world. And one of the most significant sources of global insecurity over the foreseeable future and well into the future will be about the devastating effects of drought that moves people from one area to another and climate change and its effect on natural resources. Just as one example, the, war in, the civil war in Syria. Uh, not, it didn't get a lot of press at the time, but uh, there was an unprecedented drought in Syria uh, and a million people were forced to take their agrarian lifestyle and pitch it and go into the cities. <clears throat> a million people coming into the cities put people in close proximity who had different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds. The next year, the Civil War started. In Iran right now, <clears throat> in 2018, Iran experienced 97% of its arable land was affected by severe drought. When people are lacking basic resources, they become rightfully desperate and violence can happen much more easily. And finally, it's part of caring for our children and their future, part of caring for our children and their future. So one of my heroes that um, I love to, I've probably listened to his TED talk about 15 times now, um, his name's Ray Anderson, he's now deceased. He died of pancreatic cancer in 
at age 77. But in the 90s, Ray Anderson, who had, uh, was a, um, an industrial engineer and started and built a very successful carpeting company called Interface. Um, Ray Anderson uh, read a, a book that changed his view on what industry should be doing because he, he read a book that convinced him that we're really wreaking devastation on the earth. And he decided that he was going to make his company change. And so he did. Uh, in fact, his company is one of the leaders in setting examples for global uh, multinationals understanding how to rethink the way they do business so that they're more uh, climate friendly and carbon uh, neutral. Um, Ray Anderson, uh, the week after he gave his company, his leadership team, the big talk about how they were going to completely change, was surprised when one of his employees, Glenn Thomas, came into his office having written a poem because Glenn Thomas was also kind of convicted about, about um, the long-term impact of what they had been doing and the urgent necessity of changing. And I want to share this poem with you. Um, Ray Anderson reads it in his TED Talk, and, and I want to read it to you. Um, he prefaces it by saying, a very dear person is at risk here in the extinction of the biosphere. And the poem's called Tomorrow's Child. Uh, without a name, an unseen face, and knowing not your time and place, tomorrow's child, though yet unborn, I met you first last Tuesday morn. A wise friend introduced us to, and through his sobering point of view, I saw a day that you would see, a day for you, but not for me. Knowing you has changed my thinking, for I never had an inkling that perhaps the things I do might someday, somehow, threaten you. Tomorrow's child, my daughter, son, I'm afraid I've just begun to think of you and of your good, though always having known I should. Begin, I will, to weigh the cost of what I squander, what is lost, if ever I forget that you will someday come to live here too. In the Food and Faith, uh, in the Time of Climate Change Conference, there were people who came from all over the United States. Um, <clears throat> most of them were, well, uh, fully adult. Uh, and uh, there was one woman who came, uh, she was Ethiopian Orthodox. She started a, a big community garden with her church in New Jersey. She brought her, her granddaughter with her. And at the end of the conference, there was a little bit of response time after, one of the la after the final panel spoke. And um, they asked if we wanted to ask them any questions. And all of the adults, our heads were also full of what we'd been hearing and the paradigm shifts we were processing. We had no questions. This 15-year-old girl got up and said, <clears throat> You know, I'm 15 years old and I'm here, and while I'm hearing this stuff, 
This is about my life, my lifetime. This is happening. She said, I just think, I don't have a question. I just think next year you should have this conference and have all youth come. Good point. But here's the thing. In the amount of time it's going to take for her generation to become decision makers in industry, even in household maintenance and management, we will have already lost so much ground. She needs us to hear her needs with urgency today. And I came out of that um, conference believing that we have to do two things all the time. We have to look after our spiritual home, and we still have to urgently look after our earth home and try to get it right. Not easy to do, but there's no time like starting now and doing whatever you can. It'll all be different for all of us. We'll figure out different things. One of the things that was wonderful about the Pride Parade was seeing the kids march in it. I agree, John, it was just great. Those back pew kids were there, made it through the whole parade. Way to go, Braylon, Jalen, Isabella, or Bella, Israel. Oh, lots more there were. They were learning how to witness for their faith, to take action, to make things change. We can all do that. It's one step at a time, one thing at a time. So we're not all captains of industry, but how can we start? Well, it seems to me that one of the most important ways we can all start to impact climate stuff is through our food choices, because all of us make ethical choices three times a day, and every time we go shopping about what we eat, and what we eat through industrial agriculture has a big impact on our environment. So, parents, and for all of us, we might start asking ourselves those wonderful questions that Gwen was asking. What I'm eating, how did it get here? Who made it? How far did it have to travel? Did it have to come from Chile or from New Zealand to make it to my table? How much was involved in that? What else could I do that would make my impact more friendly on the environment? There are lots of resources. And the other thing that struck me about the Pride Parade is how important it is for communities to reinforce each other and keep each other lifted up as you go through change. So I'm hoping, uh, this is not a sermon today, this is thinking into the future. I'm hoping that we have some of our dinner groups that might be interested in being groups that are uh, dedicated to thinking about food sustainability and, and holding each other accountable about making small changes and steps as part of your dinner group uh, conversation and practice. Um, I'm hoping that we can work with a, a, a 
agency like Interfaith Power and Light that'll help us do energy audits here and that'll encourage individuals to do energy audits in ways that uh, are also helpful to the church. There are lots of things happening out there. I guess my message is just this is a fundamental part of Christian life and it's not just for us. It's for our precious, precious children now and the ones yet to come. Let's give them a good home to continue to come home to in our Mother Earth. Amen.